spokenly. He lurked in the shadows, waiting and hoping she wouldn't take a different room. This was her usual room. He knew that. He knew her. Ghost of Me, the new book by Amanda Steele, can be found at Amazon, Kobo, Waterstones and many, many other places. Spokenly. Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006, and currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded since then. Although you can find it on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken Label. Full stop, bandcamp.com. It is a free download or free stream in there. But obviously, if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way, it'd be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment, etc. Enjoy. Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Spoken Hi guys, Andy N. Spoken Able. Back in the house. We're on Zoom again today on Sunday evening. Now, I've got an international flavour with me today. I'm going to let the lady introduce herself in a moment to me. I've forgotten, I've forgotten to ask her pre-recording where she's living now, but I'm pretty sure she's still in Vancouver in Canada. So, and what Jen doesn't know is I'm speaking to her. I've got, she's got family in Vancouver as well, and I haven't seen her for over 30 years. So, <laughs> so anyway, I've got Jen Ashton with me. So, Jen, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them who you are. Of course, where you originally come from, and on your writing path to date them. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. My name is Jen Ashton and I'm a writer and a professional visual artist. And I live in North Vancouver, BC, um, which is just across the bridge from Vancouver. I live up on the mountain and this is where I was raised also. Um, and I've been writing since I was around six years old is my earliest memory oh, of writing. Wow. I think I, wow. um, I can remember uh, <clears throat> dictating to my dad and uh, before I really knew how to write very well. Um, and I was first published when I was 14 in the newspaper and I've done all kinds of writing since then. And this is my first traditionally published book. And it's a book of short stories that we'll be talking about today. Yeah. And yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> Now, obviously, it's where people know, you know, like, if they're curious about you, you know, you, you, you need to talk, make people aware. So you have done a couple of children's books, haven't you? Self-published a couple of years ago, yeah. didn't you? So, obviously, mm-hmm. like, tell people a little bit about that, because your you, you traditionally published book is quite different, isn't it? Yeah, the children's books are just kind of, they were a couple of years old, and they were just kind of like rhymy Dr. Seuss books. And I just kind of published them just for the fun of having them. I actually hooked up with an artist in um, Vilnius, and she did the art for them. And I think they're still available on Amazon. If they look up my name, there's, they probably pop up. And uh, yeah, this is quite different. This is a book of short stories. And this was actually um, a surprise. Uh, I got contacted by the publisher and they asked me, what have you got? And uh, I had just written a whole bunch of short stories for NaNoWriMo um, the previous uh, November, so November 2019. So I sent them <laughs> a pile of short stories to go through. And, and this is how people like Frank came into being. Yeah, now obviously if people are wondering 
what the book's called. The book is called People Like Frank and Other Stories from the Edge of Normal, which is a fantastic yeah. title. Now, I know, obviously, yeah. People Like Frank is one of the stories in it, but what made you come up with the idea of other stories from the edge of normal? Well, I have to, although I love that name and I would love to take the credit for it. That was my publisher, Tidewater Press, who came up with that. And actually, I wanted to name the book something completely different. And I don't remember what it was now. But um, this just ended up sticking because it really kind of fits um, the book, I think. So, yeah, it, it worked out well. Yeah, because I think it's a great, I've one I've read about them, what the document sent over to me, it does look like it fits it really, really well as a, as a thing. So now, with it been obviously short stories, um, I've read, I've read about, I've read a couple, couple of them, I'm certain not read all of them. But what I want to talk about, first of all, is um, about the art that's in this book. Because mm. the review you sent me described it as oddly reminiscent of early Picasso. Yeah. Now, whose artwork is it is it yours or is it somebody else's first no it's, it's mine yeah oh, it's yours oh brilliant I, yeah. i've seen i've seen some i didn't i didn't know whose it was so uh, i'm guessing i'm not i know read somewhere that you've been doing your art for a while as well haven't you so yeah yeah i've been painting since 2015 and um again it was the publisher who said why don't we try and put some pictures in with the with the stories and yeah the feedback was awesome it's been great oh, that's so it's really good that yeah. it's, it's, it's a good skill to have that if you can start anyway listen in my opinion if you can get art, artwork in a book and if it's your own it's even better really, if you don't worry about copyrights so. yeah that's exactly right now obviously with the artwork then what's the artwork already done or did you have to in put original artwork in the book no she just um the um the designer half of my um publisher team looked through my art website and just picked a bunch that um kind of fit with the stories so i have a big website jenashtonart.com if anyone wants to look and i've got probably close to a thousand works I think up there maybe more I don't know so yeah she had a really good look through and and I think the ones she found really fit with the with the stories that she placed them beside yeah that's that's an incredible amount of artwork that is <laughs> five years or six years or so good grief I know do you find that yeah. do you find you do more art than actual writing do you then nowadays or is it a bit mixed and much uh, you know, it's a bit of a mix last year because we were getting the book out and doing edits and everything. I definitely um, put art on the back burner and I didn't have any exhibits. Mind you, with COVID, I wouldn't have had any anyways. Um, oh, no, so it actually no, no. worked out, you know, and um, so, yeah, it was a uh, it was a lot of writing, but I think I. Well, I never really do a lot of painting. It doesn't take me long to paint, I should say that. So I probably do hour by hour, spend more time writing than painting. I'm more on the musician side, because I told you off mic before. When I do my music, yeah. it tends to go in more sharp bursts, like your probably your art does, than writing. I think writing is a different different sort of dupe side of your brain you have to use, isn't it? And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think with art related, you can just splash, splash, bam. Music is just case hitting the buttons and hoping it works. <laughs> yeah, but right, yeah, right, certainly, yeah. I think with writing, you have to do it's a more paced out process, basically, isn't it? So, 
Oh, yeah, boring, especially so. if there's a deadline, you know, you gotta, you have to have it done. So it's kind of more like work mode and, and art is always play. So unless I'm just doing free writing and I'm getting up in the morning and that kind of half awake, half asleep, dreamy state, and I'm just kind of doing free writing with no end in sight, um, that I can, you know, that's more the artistic side of it. But yeah, if it's deadlines or stuff like that, then I've I'm in work mode and, and I have to sit down and like make myself do it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you completely with that. Now, um, I want to ask you a couple of the, about a couple of the pieces because I've only read a couple of them. So, yeah, just talk about people like Frank first of all, the t- collections title piece. Now, I know mm-hmm. obviously this one was actually the story was actually narrated by Frank's wife. Why? What was the choice behind doing it as Frank's wife instead of Frank for this piece? Um, I think probably because my experience with Alzheimer's has been the other person, obviously. Um, so my husband's parents and friends of ours and, um, just people I know with Alzheimer's, I've kind of been the other person. So it was probably more comfortable for me to be that other voice, um, and put it like in the voice of the wife, um, from her experience. And then the second part of that, I just want to say quickly is that I, I, really um with some of these stories i really want to highlight what it's like because with our aging population i think that so many people don't know what they're in for and i've met so many people who are surprised when their spouse has alzheimer's and they don't know what to do and they're shocked and nobody thinks it's going to happen to them so i wanted a really um kind of in-depth look at it from somebody who's right in the situation yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good move, because uh, you wouldn't have known this, but one of my friends actually lost both his mum and dad through Alzheimer's, and I saw them both mm. them go down over a number of time, and it's it's not easy, yeah. that's for sure of it, so no. really not easy at all. So, And I've just done a yeah. session for my... I do like a, I do a column once a week for Sunday Sunday Tribune, and it's in London, like London Arts Magazine, and I've just done a review for them, an actual full poetry cook about a lady laid out with mum's Alzheimer's. So it's like, mm. it's not an easy topic to talk about. I'm respecting that one. It was, that's why I wasn't sure whether it was like how close you were to that one. It was, it's an excellent piece. So yeah, that's why. Okay. Now the other one, another piece I particularly enjoyed was the, the Remembering Vincent Price. Yeah. Now I want to ask you about this. Vincent Price, and did you, were you a fan of Vincent Price or was this just suited well for the story? Well, the funny thing is, is that out of the entire book, a lot of parts of the story were true. Like um, when I was in, uh, like growing up in North Vancouver and that kind of um, preteen and the boys at my school and how things were kind of in the early 70s. And then the actual part about watching um, the Vincent Price movie late at night, which was called oh what was it called the last man on earth and oh I ac- yeah yeah I some, I yeah acc- oh, yeah i, I accidentally saw that when i was oh, little I and that. yeah it scared the heck out of me for like my entire life i'm oh, just yeah. now just have now getting the, over it have you seen the book it came from no i haven't it's done by richard matteson book oh. i am legend 
It was actually there was a Will oh. Be- there was a Will Smith version of it a few years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, I didn't know that was the same yeah. one. The book and there's another version of the seventies. Matt Gregor Peck did it, and I forgot. And I forgot what that one was called. Oh. That might have been Legend as well. But the book is actually managed to make the three of those films look quite <laughs> amateur basis because it's in the book. He actually chokes oh, okay. to death on poison. He poisons himself. <laughs> yeah, wow. Terrifying yeah, no, That was, yeah, it was. And when I was, I think I was probably like seven or maybe eight or nine <laughs> when I saw that movie. And yeah, nightmares for my whole life. And so that's why we decided to call at Vincent Price because it was so um, <laughs> traumatic for me. But yeah, that was kind of the most real, uh, surreal not all the uh, elements of, I won't say all, that, all the elements are, not that part was real, but you know, there's a lot of me in that book or in that yeah, story. Sorry. That story, you mean, not the book, the story. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's always say, don't they, when we're doing stories and poems and even novels, you've got to have an element of yourself in it. But yeah. in that story, I suspect, and you just hid it very carefully, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to kind of, um, and sometimes we don't see it until afterwards, you know, in hindsight, then you can look and go, oh my God. Yeah. Or if somebody else mentions it, like, wow, that sounds like you. That's cool. I, sometimes I don't see what's the parts of <laughs> in there. Um, okay. I've read two more of these and I don't, I don't know any more of in this book actually. So you've got to tell me in a minute. Cause, uh, but I know um, I did read Nest as well. We talked about it a uh, congruently mm. challenged woman in a sheltered workshop. Yeah. Where did that story come from? Because these the the four of red are all very, very different sort stories indeed. Yeah. So. Um well you know the goal of the book was to try and um make everybody the hero of their own story. <laughs> and I really kind of want to highlight all kinds of different people. Um and that's where the edge of normal kind of comes from. Like not everybody fits the mold, you know. Um so Nest, yeah, I think it's, I've worked a lot in um, nonprofit organizations. I've worked with a lot of um, uh, challenged people. Um, and uh, I think this is probably, you know, Francine is just a combination character of many people I've known and situations I've been in. And, you know, that kind of all soaks in and it's no one person, but um, and you know, a lot of it's imagination too. So, yeah, yeah, no, I get it completely. It does make for you completely. Now, the last one I've read um, was P. It was obviously it's completely <laughs> yeah. different, but yet yes. again, for the other three stories in the book. Yeah. And it's also, I think it's the most um, out of the four of them I've read, where it was most contained, if you know what I mean, because the journey in it was like was in the smallest place, really, wasn't it? Yeah, just in one room, basically. Yeah, it was. Um, I don't know where I got the idea for that story. I think it was part of a free write that I had done for NaNoWriMo. And um, for that November, 2019, I challenged myself to write a short story every day that month. And that was one of them. And I think it was actually, um, I think it was quite a bit shorter, um, but the publisher asked if I could kind of draw that out a little bit more. to make it, you know, not just more story length, but to add some more detail because it was, um, 
It was an interesting, an interesting premise for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Because I think when you're doing what you've done, you've done, you're doing a story a month over that period. I've done yeah. Napoleon on National Poetry Writing Month for about eight, nine years now. And yeah. by the end of it, you've done one, one a day. But did you feel by the end of it, you just had enough, basically, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, you, you get tired, don't you, after a while, just trying to get into that groove. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it takes a while. I found now that I've kind of have this experience of, you know, editing and doing the NaNoWriMo for a couple of years is that it takes me well into December to kind of shut my brain down afterwards, too. Like, I'm so exhausted, but you kind of keep thinking that way of deep, you know, you can look at something in the room and details and your mind starts to like write a sentence about it. And it really takes me a while to kind of come back to myself and and get oh. out of the writing mode i bet you do it's just trying to get, well, get back into normal life and wind down yeah i know we've got napa national poetry writing month i do it in eight starts in april and yeah. i've not really been writing a lot this but this year particularly i'm doing yeah. lots of other stuff but i'm yeah. thinking in march i've got to sit down and start pushing myself to start doing bit after bit every day to get yeah. into the groove definitely so it's going to be a definitely that so now obviously with the book itself then I've noticed, I know there's other pieces in the book itself, but most of these wrote over quite a short, concise period already over a certain amount of time spread out. Um, no, a, a lot of these stories were actually written in that month. Wow. Um, yeah. wow. <laughs> there's a couple, I think, um, Weatherman that's about 20 years old, but it was, you know, finished off for this book. Um um, I'm not sure. There's 20 stories in the book, and yeah, but I think the majority of them were written during um, Nano, and I think that obviously there's a lot more that weren't in the book that we had to cut. But um, yeah, for the I mean, that be for the second book then, basically, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> hope. hope the fingers crossed, definitely. That no, brilliant. Yeah. No, yeah, good luck. We're definitely now. I like to ask writers, obviously, what they've got coming up next, because obviously we covered that book. I know. I don't know what you can say here because you've had a big meeting, haven't you? Um, you yeah. the other week, and it, I think you can hint at it rather and tell more, can't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm waiting for some feedback, and uh, so I'm fingers crossed that it's positive. Um, but actually, this year I'm the writer in residence at RBC History Magazine. Oh, brilliant! I didn't know about Yeah, that. so I'm doing that, and there's four issues a year. So um, we're just waiting for our first issue to come out. I'm pretty excited about that. Brilliant. So, what? Tell, tell us about then. What What have you got to do for that then of these four um, issues? Yeah. So uh, I had the idea to kind of. Um, open up the history magazine to include more of our BC indigenous stories. Um, so it's called the sharing space. And basically I'm writing a story about my indigenous family and then opening up um, and inviting another indigenous writer to share their history as well. So I'm kind of curating as well as writing for each issue. Oh, great. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Oh, good luck with that, definitely. So. Thank you. Thank now, obviously, we can't, we can't talk much more about the novels because we're for feedback. But, so like, sound like you're going to have a busy year, busy year this anyway, straight away, aren't you? So do yeah. you envisage in doing a second book of short stories and maybe in the future? Well, I would love to. I love writing short stories. You know, I love trying to fit a story into a small space. It's a lot mm. like poetry, right? Like uh, just trying to say as much as you can in as few words as possible. 
um, or not really, I guess poetry can be long as well. But yeah, I would love to. And I'm, I think I'm always writing short stories. Um, sometimes I'll write something that will feel like it needs to go on for longer. But um, yeah, I, I really am enjoying short story writing right now. So I might stay with it. And yeah, hopefully it'll turn out fill another book. Fingers crossed. And now I've got to ask you a couple of quick questions before we conclude this part anyway. Obviously, yeah. we have been talking to jump around all boundaries about your short stories and your novels. Yeah. How do you find... The do you find there's much a difference when you're writing novels to your short stories? Um, I Yeah, it's very different because with a short story, it's actually kind of more draining, even though you're writing less um, because they're so varied. You kind of have to put yourself in a different headspace and a different voice for each one. So it's a lot more tiring, I think, to write short stories. When you're writing a novel or a longer book or a different thing, you know, and you're kind of on the same topic the whole time, you're kind of in the one world and you're there and you're writing and it can go on for ages. But yeah, the short story is very different um, because you have to pop in and out of different worlds all the time, especially with this book, you know, there's these 20 worlds that I had to yeah. traverse, you know, back and forth all the time. And so, it's, yeah, it was a bit tiring. Oh yeah, I bet it was. Cause like I found out a poem sometimes where you're trying to switch from one gear to another. By the yeah, end right. of it, you're like, you know, can we do multiple ones? You can never give me it. Your head can be like this by the end yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brilliant. yeah. Okay, well, that's one more questions on this side, but okay. if people want to find out more about your art, first of all, Jen, I know, obviously, you said before, you mentioned the website, haven't you? So tell people what the website is again. Sure. For my art, it's Jen, J-E-N-N, Ashton, A-S-H-T-O-N, art, uh, dot com. And if people want to find out more about your writing. Yeah, my, my, my writing website is Jennifer Ashton, and that's dot C-A. And that's Jennifer with two N's. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, I've got both of them. People are interested, so I'll make sure we get these hot links to you later on. And your book itself, then, obviously, can be found and presumably on Amazon, can't it? And as yeah, I would say, yeah. good, good and evil new, new booksellers, basically. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, or go to your local and uh, your local bookseller and, and ask them to get it in. And if they don't have it, I know a lot of places do have it already. But yeah, it's available on Amazon. Oh, and one thing I want to add in September, um, we're going to be working for uh, the Estonia charity in the UK. And anybody that buys the ebook for, um, we haven't decided which week it is, but there will be a week in September where all the proceeds are going to go to the charity. Good stuff. And I'm going to check. Uh, my Virgin in August then about that. I'm sure I'll tell you no more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That sounds great, Jen. Brilliant. Okie dokie. Awesome. Well, hang around, everybody, because Jen's going to be down something for us shortly. We're looking forward to this. So thank you again, Jen. It's been a pleasure today. Thanks very, very much. Really good it's, chat. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you. Right. See you all in a minute, guys. Spokenly. Hi, guys. Straight over to Jen. She's going to do a little piece for us now. Over to you, my friend. Hi. Thanks very much. This is an excerpt from a short story in my book, People Like Frank, and it's called All Nation Soup. My granny used to make this thing called All Nation Soup. It was basically hamburger soup, but it had four kinds of beans in it. I think she just made it from what she had. We had it every Sunday at her house when all of our parents dumped us off there to go and do whatever they did on a Sunday afternoon. I'm pretty sure it was not to go to church. I think my mother went to work and my father to the bar, or maybe they all just went back to bed happy to be rid of us for a few hours. 
All of the cousins would be there, the aunts and the uncles, driving up in a queue outside the old apartment block, some nodding to each other from the driver's seat and others hung over and ignoring everybody. We would all rush up to the glass doors with the big words Regent Manor in gold writing. It was always a race to see who could push the buzzer. And then we'd lean against the dirty white stucco and feel the sharp glass pieces through our t-shirts, jean jackets, and windbreakers and wait for Granny to buzz us in. The first thing we would do was huddle in the kitchen and watch Granny stir the soup pot and start to build up that soup. The dank smell of beans when the pot reached a boil would hit our noses before she put the other ingredients in. That's the way it's done, she'd say. You have to start with nothing and build it into something. That's where the magic is. First you have nothing and then you have something. And she would wave her wooden spoon with a flourish like a wand and smile her gummy smile her gray perm bobbing as she laughed while she slowly moved around the small kitchen, the arthritis having taken firm hold of her small, stout 65-year-old frame. We had heard different versions of this every Sunday for as long as I can remember, but Granny's lessons were never boring and usually combined a recipe of some sort with a bit of family history and most times a moral tacked on the end just to keep us pure. Now that I'm grown up, I know how long she must have spent making that soup for us because beans take a long time to make. I know she must have had patience and so much love for us all to make that special thing for us kids every Sunday. We would roll in, 10 of us more or less, and get dumped off around 2 or 3 in the afternoon. We'd kind of bum around until supper time when we would all sit around the old table. Granny would have put the leaf in before we arrived, just in case our full count of 15 ever showed. We never did, except at Easter, Christmas, and her birthday. And she always put on a nice, freshly pressed linen tablecloth for us. And we got to use the good old-fashioned Rosa's china and the forks and knives out of the locked wooden box from the bottom of the china cabinet. Special things should be used every day because every day is special, she would remind whoever was helping her set the table that day. We would always fight over who got to help her with the preparations. It felt grown up to do things like fold and smooth white napkins, reverent. Now that I know that's how they do it in a fancy restaurant, I know that Granny was trying to make us all feel special, and we did, even though sometimes we didn't know it at the time. Sometimes Bill kicked us under the table, and Roger always had a drippy nose and didn't care what he ate. The steam just made his nose run more. Anne Marie was always reading, but she'd put down her book when Granny would go around the table holding the big pot with her green check tea towel, ladling the soup for us, and her bowl was full. Granny served that soup like it was her only job, and we were kings and queens, not just grubby kids. She radiated love at us, and it was sometimes the only soul food we got all week. Most of our parents worked, and that meant us older kids were left to fend for ourselves for supper, and most of the younger ones were on a regular diet of frozen TV dinners, which were all the rage. When I look back now, I'm sure that these warm and caring Sundays with Granny were what kept us all going in the swiftly evolving 70s, where families were no longer like the Waltons we saw on TV, but were instead a minefield of changing ideas and ideals. Granny saw in us what we didn't during that time, our potential. She came from a time when there wasn't much, when war raged and you were happy just to have your family home safe and a bit of food on your table. I found out much later that Granny didn't have all of that for long. She'd lost children to smallpox and siblings in that war and to Spanish flu, and so she loved us all extra hard. She came from a time of hugs and kisses when mothers were always home and you had all of their care and attention for the rest of their lives when children were prized and family came before all else, and now she witnessed us living in a world of broken homes and hard words. 
So there were no harsh words. There was no sit up straight or why are you making that face or wait till your father gets home or eat everything on your place or else. There was just a relaxing in. And that fit. Wonderful. Really, really evocative that gentleman. then. You've got a beautiful reading. Oh, so I've, really, I've really enjoyed that then. I could have quite happy hear you read the whole story then. So no, excellent. Yeah, really, cool. really enjoyed that. Definitely. So thank you today for that. Really, really compliment your session before. Brilliant. Thank you. So hang around. I need to speak to you off mic. A couple of things I need to go through. But it's been, been a pleasure today. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you today, yeah. Jen. Yeah, thank you very much. It was awesome. Right, well, that's it, guys and girls. As always, Saints Folk Label. The Court Don Callis from Calgary, who's not that far away from Vancouver, who's in a two runs impact wrestling. Stay up, stay safe, and stay over. So we'll see you all soon. Take care. Spoken Label.